Dealing with our past has become a popular topic over the last week. Paris Jackson, daughter of Michael Jackson, claimed that paparazzi have caused her trauma that's now impacting her in big ways, and news outlets all around the world are reporting on it. Welcome to This Divine Moment, a podcast where we learn to notice and respond to the work that God is already doing in each of our lives. In today's episode, we look at how the past can impact our present, how pain can become an indicator for something bigger, and how the advice of a guy named Pebbles can help us respond to our past hurts. Well, hey everyone, welcome to This Divine Moment. I am your host, Ben Cornick, and if you don't know me, I am a husband and a father. I'm a pastor and a speaker, and I'm also a guy who really enjoys reading. Like, I really love to read, and I'm often reading multiple books at the same time. What I mean by that is I have a book that I keep by my bed, I have another book that I keep in my laptop bag, Uh, I have a book that's on my desk at work, and I've got a stack of books by a reading chair in my office. So I'm often reading uh, somewhere between five and ten books. And, uh, you know, I just, I just enjoy reading books. I read newspapers and articles. I just really love to read. Now, one of my favorite books is called The Sacred Romance by John Eldridge. Now, in this book, they talk about how God can speak to us through the wonder of the world and the beauty of life. So a warm summer breeze while fireflies fill the night. A brisk fall morning while fog rises and you can picture the leaves changing into golds and reds and orange. Uh, It could be a long conversation with friends around a campfire. All of these moments can help us to see the divine romance that's at work in our lives. It's God wooing us. It's God calling out to us through our pleasures. But then... They talk about something that they call the arrows. See, the, the, the romance of life, it gives us this message that there's beauty in the world and there's wonder and there's, there's something significant to life. There's something important about our existence. But the arrows, they do something different. The arrows are those moments in life when something hits us out of nowhere. The death of a loved one a hurtful comment from someone that you can never seem to move past no matter how many years it's been, Uh, an ugly breakup, or even getting picked last for a pickup game of kickball. These these painful moments from our past that uh, could seem insignificant to someone else, and yet to us they hold deep significance, but also deep pain. And these arrows, they come with a message some lie that lodges deep into our hearts and infects us for years to come. So this is the idea of the arrows. This is the idea of something that creates pain. Now, lately, I've been reading all sorts of stuff about past trauma. I was actually just talking with a friend recently, and we were talking about this idea of how trauma continues to rear its ugly head in our lives. And and trauma can be small, it can be large, and we don't actually get to decide when it decides to uh, pop up, uh, when an emotion comes that we're not expecting in a moment that we go, I don't even know why I feel this way right now, but this is happening. 
And so this is, this is an important thing for us. And what we like to do is we try to live in such a way that the past is the past, the present is the present, and we've got our minds on the future. And uh, if you actually do a study of cultures around the world, Americans are a much more future-oriented uh, culture than many other cultures. Uh, so as Americans, we're, we're actually culturally um, conditioned to think about the future. That's where a lot of our minds are most of the time. Of course, we're thinking about the present, you know, what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Where am I going to go? Who am I going to meet? But we, we like to think about the future. And if you don't believe me, look at all the seminars and all the books and all of the podcasts that focus on uh, planning and ideation and visualizing your goals and your dreams. And so we're very future oriented. So we like to try to leave the past in the past, but sometimes the past doesn't like to stay there. And, and what happens is these arrows, the pain that they cause comes back. So what are your arrows? I know what some of mine are. You know, they say that the past trauma will actually change the way your body interacts with its chemical responses. Trauma can physically physiologically change the way your body works, the way your mind works, the way the chemicals in your body are released. And um, a few weeks ago, I was sitting in a, in a Panera and it was just a regular morning. I was trying to get some work done. Sometimes I'll go to a local cafe to uh, really try to focus. Um, I mean, I love, I, I'm blessed that I have this office uh, at the church that I get to work at, but uh, some days uh, it just seems like there's a parade of people going, hey, hey, uh, can I talk to you about something? And I love it. Um, I, I'm always reminded in those moments, that's because I'm part of something. Like this is this is a good thing. But uh, so I don't, I don't get upset. But there are some days where I look at my to-do list and I go, oh man, I have got to get some things accomplished. So I will go to somewhere like Panera, uh, throw in some headphones and just get after it. Well, this, mor- this one morning I got there and I just felt so depleted. And I was thinking about the day before and all these different things that had happened. And I remember having this feeling like, man, life is just so overwhelming and and nobody has my back. And it was really interesting to me that those were the thoughts that were going through my head because I, I wasn't even sure that those were necessarily true. But not only that, I physically felt depleted. Like I, it, the only way I could describe it in the moment is it felt like there was like a chemical response happening in my body that was bigger than I wanted to admit. I, I didn't, I like to just be like, man, if I can just slam back a coffee and get focused, I can get in that flow state and I can get work done like no other. But it wasn't happening that day. I just could not get it together. Do you know what I mean? And I realized it was because of something. And that something is the arrows. So I I took some time that morning and I prayed and I asked God to just reveal to me, God, what are the arrows that are still lodged in my heart where I need some healing? And uh, some things came up pretty quickly. Uh, When you ask God those questions, uh, I think often he's ready to help us to see the answer because he wants us to be healed. He wants us to move uh, past these things. These are things that we might not be able to ever fully get over, but we might be able to move past them. And so I realized that when I was a kid, 
it had become obvious to me that other kids had dads and I didn't. Now, of course, I have a dad, but when I was growing up, my dad was not around. He was not part of my life growing up. So I was left wondering. Like there was no no answer to that question in my life of why my dad wasn't around. And so I thought, is it is it because I'm not good enough? Like, you know, am I good enough? Uh, why is it okay to just not be a part of my life? And who has my back? Like those are questions that I might not have known how to articulate as a kid, but that that framed the way that I interacted with everybody. Now, my mom, she was around when I was growing up, but there were some really difficult aspects of my mom's life when she uh, moved into early adulthood. Um, she went through some really devastating junk. And and I, I, I actually wish my mom were still alive because there's moments that I wish I could sit with her and just go, you know, mom, I think I understand better now um, what you were going through, like what happened to you. But uh, my mom, she she was the victim of some physical abuse, not from my own father, but from a man. And uh, she wound up moving back in with her parents. And she had my oldest brother and sister at the time. And then um, she met my father and had my other sister and myself. And, um, and that didn't go very well. So here she's got four kids. Um, she's trying to make it through. She's trying to keep it all together. And uh, there was some substance uh, issues that she developed. She became an alcoholic. And so, you know, obviously I, I, can, I can sort of put the pieces together now and go, okay, I can understand how that progression happens. I mean, I'm, I'm in a life of ministry and now I, I talk with people all the time who became alcoholics. And it's not like they one day thought, you know, it'd be a really exciting thing is if I became an alcoholic. So, um, but growing up as a kid, I didn't have that framework. I didn't have this empathy or this understanding or um, this perspective. And so what I thought was I had a mom who didn't really want to spend time with me, that she didn't really want to be around me because often she was asleep or she was at work. And so, um, so when I did want to spend time with her, it seemed like I was a bit of an annoyance and like she didn't want me around. And so in some ways I had to raise myself. And so so in in the arrows that were lodged in my heart through those experiences, um, I believed that I was on my own, that I'm the only one looking out for me. And um, I'm a little much to be around. You know, there's just, there's there's too much of me. There's too much energy, too much intensity, and I've got to tone it down. And then um, I was raised in a, in a loud household. Like I said, I had three older siblings. Uh, people had friends over all the time. And there were substances that would be introduced in the situations. And so sometimes people were drunk and they were angry and they were yelling. And so often I was around a lot of yelling and a lot of noise. And I, I, I learned that if I'm going to make my voice known, that I need to yell, that I need to get louder. I need to get more uh, forceful. So I learned that no one else is going to make my voice known. And no one, no one is wondering what I'm thinking. That if I'm going to get my thoughts and my voice out there, that I'm going to have to do it forcefully. Now, all of, all of these arrows that had been lodged in my heart through these different things as I was growing up, they left me feeling unprotected, uncared for, 
on my own with the weight of the world on my shoulders. Can you relate? Maybe you don't relate to my exact circumstances, but you've had some of your own arrows in life. Arrows that were put there by your parents or siblings or friends. Arrows that were put there by some random kid at school that you didn't even like and they said something to you and it happened in third grade and yet still to this day as an adult, you cannot move past it for whatever reason. Or maybe it's something that happened recently. Like I thought about how there's certain things that have happened to me in ministry that uh, they like the arrows are still coming. I mean, I just got an email this morning from someone who pretty much said that um, my prayers were worth nothing. (laughs) I mean, it was the weirdest email. It was very strange, but this person just said, um, hey, I believe that your, your church and the Church of America are ineffective. The pastors are ineffective. Your prayers mean nothing you know, have a good day. Uh, they didn't actually end with have a good day, but they said uh, to, to, be, to beware of the judgment. And what's interesting about that is as a pastor and as a teacher, uh, someone who teaches God's word, uh, I take very seriously that verse that says that I'm going to be judged more harshly than other people. And I think about the judgment all the time. I'm, I mean, it's, it's something that sobers me often to go, someday I have to stand and give an account for everything I said and did. So the email was, even in itself, it was just interesting and it pricked something inside of me. And I said, this is another stinking arrow. But something you have to realize about arrows is that none of them are the truth, These things are not true, even when our experiences validate them. These things, these arrows, they are not true, even when our experiences validate them. So even when we say, yeah, but it seems true because that's what I experienced, um, experience is not the ultimate litmus test of truth. And if anything, this is how the enemy can work in our lives. We only look at what we see and feel rather than what is transcendent, rather than what is deep and eternal and much larger than ourselves. And so what happens is we just look at these instances and these moments that took place and we, we try to discern truth from these moments, but the the problem is we cannot discern truth from moments like this. And the Bible says that these arrows actually come from the enemy, that there's this legion of darkness that is hell-bent against humanity to cause us to lose our identity and think differently about ourselves than what we were created to be. And the Bible says that the enemy shoots these arrows at us in these vulnerable places, And we're told to put on the armor of God to shield ourselves against these attacks. And I I fully believe that. We should daily put on the armor of God. We, We have to realize that this is actual warfare. Now, I know that we don't always think that way. Um, you, you know, imagine, um, imagine an invisible war happening around you. And then you put on a certain pair of glasses and you can see all these soldiers moving about uh, fighting around you. Well, that's honestly somewhat like the war that we find ourselves in, that this earth is a battleground and the, the battle is for the hearts of men and women all around the world. Now, again, we don't always think this way, but this is the reality And so I'm also intrigued by this old quote from C.S. Lewis when it comes to the arrows. Now, he doesn't refer to them as the arrows. He, He simply just talks about pain. You know, earlier I said that God 
speaks to us through our pleasures. That's one of the ways he speaks to us through this, this sacred romance. But listen, listen to what Lewis says about pleasures and pain. He says, we can ignore even our pleasures, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. No doubt pain as God's megaphone is a terrible instrument. It may lead to final and unrepentant rebellion, but it gives the only opportunity the bad man can have for amendment. It removes the veil. It plants the flag of truth within the fortress of the rebel soul. So what does that mean? What what Lewis is telling us here is that God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he, he shouts to us through our pains, that there's moments of pain in life and God will use those to bring about the truth. So the pain itself is not the truth, but God can implant truth in our lives through the pain. See, God never intended for us to live lives filled with pain. All you have to do is read Genesis 1 and 2 to understand that, that everything God created, he created it to be good. It was meant to be good. But God will use the pain that's inflicted upon us for a purpose. See, Joseph declared to his brothers who had sold him into slavery. I mean, talk about pain. He was, his brothers hated him so much that they were going to kill him. And then they decided to sell him into slavery instead as some kind of a mercy to him. I mean, imagine your family just going, that's how much you're worth to us. And then he goes through this whole series of misfortunes when he gets to Egypt. But finally, there's a day where he interprets a dream for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, And he becomes essentially what would be a prime minister of Egypt. And later on, he saves the entire Middle Eastern region from famine. And when his brothers come to him, he looks at them and he says, What you intended for my harm, God used for good, for the saving of many lives. So even when others hurt us, God knows how to turn that into something good. So this is what I'm talking about. When I am confronted with the arrows, for me, it becomes a divine moment because I realize God can use this pain to speak to me. God can use the pain to talk to me about what is true. So here's the question that I ask myself when I'm confronted with the arrows, when these pains come up, when I can literally feel the chemical change in my body due to past trauma that for whatever reason meets me in that moment, here is the question that I ask myself. Yes, I understand this pain, but what does the gospel tell me? Yes, I've got an arrow lodged deep in my heart, but what does the gospel tell me? Yes, I'm still on a pathway towards healing, but what does the gospel tell me? See, growing up, I believed I wasn't cared for, that I had to protect myself, that I was the only one who had my back, and that I was completely on my own, that I was too much, that I was, I was, uh, I was a nuisance. Well, the gospel tells me that I'm cared for eternally, that I've got a God who loves me and he takes care of my needs. And I became a Christian when I was 15 years old, and I can tell you that through... Um, 
my parents just telling me that I had to go live on my own and that they couldn't take care of me anymore when I was a junior in high school. Uh, through getting kicked out of a family's house in a really um, just painful way, uh, from not being able to uh, make it all the way through college, uh, to the the death of my sister-in-law. I mean, all sorts of moments where the arrows came and all sorts of moments where I could have questioned God's goodness. But you know what? In all of that, he took care of me every single time. Even when I had a bad attitude and I was angry and I was mad and I was frustrated and I would yell at God, he still took care of me. So the gospel tells me I am cared for. The gospel tells me I'm protected eternally, even if my physical life is harmed. See, I believe that nobody had my back growing up, but the truth is, is that God has my back. That even in moments when the enemy wants to bring harm, God will use it for good, that I have someone who has my back. What does the gospel tell me? The gospel tells me I'm not on my own. Now, I was just reading the Psalms today, and there's a Psalm that says, God sets the lonely in families. And I think that's so true because I think about my wife, uh, this incredible uh, woman that God has blessed me with. And we, we, we enjoy a really fun marriage. We have a lot of fun together. We, of course, have our hard moments. We have moments where we get frustrated with each other. But um, not only did God give me an incredible wife, but he set me in a family because I, um, I mean, I have my own family, but there are so many things that were difficult growing up. And there's, there's still so many um, just unmet desires. I mean, my mother passed away and there are still so many things that we never really figured out as a mom and a son. And um, one of the things I grieved the most when my mother died was all the things that didn't happen. Maybe some of you can relate to that. But, um, but God set me in this family of believers, these people who love Jesus and have loved me, my, my in-laws and my brother-in-law and his wife. And, um, and so it's just, it's just been this cool process of knowing like I am not on my own. That's not the truth. Not only does God have my back, not only is he with me, as Jesus promised, I'll be with you till the very end of the age, but he also has put people around me so that I know that I'm not alone. And he's given me great friends, uh, some who encouraged me to start this podcast. Um, so God has put people around me. I am not on my own. That is not the truth. So on that day when I sat in that Panera and I said, man, nobody's got my back. I'm overwhelmed. Those things weren't true. I mean, yeah, did I have a lot going on? Sure. Did it, did it feel frustrating and overwhelming? Yes. But the, the feeling of it doesn't mean that that is what's true. What's true is what the gospel tells me is true. And so a question you can ask yourself when you realize those arrows are there is, but what does the gospel tell me? See, if you look at other systems of faith in our world, only one has the God who comes down, joins the people in their pain, the pain that the people themselves caused, and then suffers for them so that their pain can become purpose. See, that's exactly what Jesus did. Look at all the other religions of the world. You're not going to find someone like Jesus, God incarnate, meaning he's fully God, fully man, comes down to earth in human form as the, the most um, vulnerable thing he could be, a human 
child, a baby, and then lives this life, dies on a cross, dies an innocent death uh, for your sins and mine, was raised to life on the third day, has ascended to the throne in heaven and is coming back again someday. He did all of that. But what I need you to realize is he didn't have to. He chose to. He chose to enter our pain. So someday I will, we won't have pain anymore. The Bible says that there will be a day when Jesus comes back and he wipes every tear from our eyes and there will be no more pain and no more death and no more mourning, no more grieving. But the truth is, is that right now the gospel is that he joins us in our pain, that he carries us through it and that he takes our pain and he pulls it into purpose. See, that's what Jesus did. So how are you going to respond? You know, I, I was thinking about Peter. Now, I need you to understand something about Peter. When Peter said the whole thing about how Jesus was the Christ, uh, Jesus looked at him and said, you know what, Peter, you are correct about that, but you didn't learn that yourself. My father in heaven revealed that to you. And from now on, I'm going to call you rock. And then he says, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. But you have to understand something about the original language. What he says to Peter is, from now on, I'm going to call you pebbles. And upon this boulder, I will build my church. So he wasn't saying he was building the church on Peter. I mean, have you read about Peter? Thank God he didn't build the church on Peter. No, he built the church on the truth of who he is. He built the church on himself, that Jesus is the rock. But Peter, he called him Pebbles. And I just love it because what a nickname. That throughout his whole life, Peter walked around with this nickname that meant he was the little pebble. But Peter wore it as a badge of honor because he knew what Jesus was trying to do with him. He knew that Jesus was saying, I need you to remain as a humble person for the rest of your life. And so you are going to go by the name of Pebbles. Now, what's interesting is later on, Peter writes this letter to the church. And uh, one of the things he says is that we can cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. God cares for us. So we can give him our anxieties and our cares and our worries. And actually, when, when Peter says cast our cares upon God, he, he says it like chuck your, your anxieties at God. Like take those things and just throw them at him. So there's this urgency to it. There's this don't, don't keep walking around with that. The moment you feel that sense of trauma, that moment that thing from the past rises up, that moment that pain or that anxiety is with you, give it to God. It's, it's an alarm bell. It's something that tells you, hey, something's not right. And what we try to do is we try to just move past it, ignore it, shove it off to the side. Well, have you ever, like, have you ever uh, tried to ignore um, something that was painful in your body and later on you found out it was a much bigger deal? Like when I was younger, I had this uh, broken or I had a pinky that was hurting and I come to find out it was broken. Um, and so sometimes we ignore the pain and things actually just get worse. Well, the pain is meant to be this alarm bell that tells us something is not right. And then our response is to invite God in. But this all comes down to trust. Do you trust God with your pain? Do you trust him to come in and do his healing work? 
Now, some people, they say, well, no, I think God's the one who caused the pain, or why would he let this happen? Instead of saying, there's this one God who can help heal me from this pain, why would I, why would I try to push him away in the moment when he could lean in and do something about it? Now, Jesus said that we shouldn't expect a painless journey in this life. And actually, sometimes as part of the healing process, that arrow that's been lodged in your heart, sometimes it has to get pushed all the way through for the healing process to begin. So sometimes God actually has to bring in a little bit more pain. He's got to take you through something a little bit more painful, not because he's trying to be sadistic, but because he loves you. And he goes, look, we've got to, we've got to just push a little bit further. We've got, to, we've got to grit our teeth just a little bit more. And I've got to get this arrow out of you so that we can begin to heal. Now, look, I understand that this isn't the only answer to dealing with your past and to dealing with trauma. And again, on this podcast, I always remind people, I am not a uh, licensed mental health care professional. Uh, What I do is there's things that interest me like psychology and trauma and the things that I've been dealing with in my own life. And I go, what does God's word have to tell us about this? How is this a divine moment for each and every one of us? See, until you can begin to bring your past into a redemptive story for your life, you're going to keep having it sneak up on you without knowing why. You're going to keep dealing with it. You're going to keep trying to push it off and it's only going to get worse. But what if your pain could be an indication that it's time to invite God in to bring healing? So may you, through the pain and the trauma and the difficulties in life, hear the voice of God calling out to you as loudly as possible that he wants to come in and bring healing. And may you experience the healing of God like you never have before. May you learn what it means to cast your cares and your worries and your anxieties upon him. And may you learn what it means for him to care for you, for him to tend to your wounds. And in all of these things, in all of this pain, in all of this healing, may you see him at work. May you see him bring your pain into purpose. And may you allow him to use that pain and purpose to bring healing to many others. Well, thank you for joining me for this divine moment. I hope that this podcast is continuing to be something that's helpful to you. Um, I'm just so thankful that I get this opportunity to be a part of your life in this way. Um, I I saw a Instagram story uh, this last week uh, just talking about the impact that the podcast was making. And I love when you share things like that. And so if you can... um, tag me on social media. If you can uh, review this podcast, if you can subscribe to it, if you can share it with others, these are all ways that people can continue to find this podcast and that it can be a help to them as well. And of course, I, I always love hearing feedback. So if you have any ideas for me on future podcast episodes, things you'd love to hear covered, Uh, things that you would love to hear me talk about, uh, or even people that you think I should reach out to 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 find out their perspective on something. Um, I am totally open to all of those things. Well, again, thank you for joining me for this divine moment, and we will see you again next week for another episode.